Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I really love this series. It's, it's just kind of fun for me, and uh, particularly this uh, sermon this morning. This is something that God placed on my heart several weeks ago as I was prepping and preparing for a, a different message, and uh, the just thought came immediately to my mind. And it's ironic because the class that I want to go through today is by far the class that I like the least. As a matter of fact, we can use the other word. I loathed this class. I've always had, probably always will, but I'm talking about math, okay? Now, by the way, in the UK, they call it maths, which I thought was so weird. Like, what about all the maths? Like, yes, it's mathematics, not mathematic. I'm like, whatever, England, shut up. And so... How many in this room are like Pastor Joey? You just struggle with math. Math was not your thing. Okay, thank you. See, I'm not alone. How many of you, that's your jam? Like math was your best subject? Okay, God bless you. God bless you. I hope your finances are good. I hope you use it for something. <laughs> Listen, math, math was a struggle. I just never got it. Like, I mean, to a certain point, I got it. I was pretty good at addition, subtraction, multiplication. Decimals kind of got me wobbly, but I got through it, you know, and everything was all right. But man, when I started getting to algebra and they started getting to, yeah, I was like, yo, math is numbers. Why are you throwing letters in this? Like once they start hitting me with the X's and the Y's and the graphing calculators, and I was like, you know what? I think my math career is over and I'm going to focus in on reading. I can read really well. And so math was always difficult, except, except in high school, there was one math course that I did pretty decently. And I think part of it is because it, it wasn't necessarily tangent on all the other maths. A lot of math builds on itself, right? And so you can't do this math if you didn't learn the math before that. And so, you know, algebra, you have to learn a lot of things before that. Trigonometry, you have to understand a lot of things before that. But this particular class was at least a little bit easier for me. And I'm talking about geometry. Geometry was my saving grace in high school. It was the, the one math class that I did half decent in. And I think part of that is it made more sense to me because there was kind of a reason behind this math. It's kind of like when I was a kid and there were word problems. I get word problems. Susie got five apples, she ate four. How many she got? Okay, I get that. And so geometry was a little bit easier for me because I can visualize what they were talking about. And so I could see a triangle. I can see a circle. I understood what a semicircle was or a square or a rectangle. Now, don't get me wrong. I got more advanced, okay? I got into parallelograms and rhombuses and trapeziums and all that fancy stuff that sounds like it's the Greek. I started to understand them because I could see how it was drawn out. I can see how the dimensions would make sense and, and really began to fascinate me. And even on, on paper, how you can make an image look 3D if you add depth and height and length. And if you put all these dimensions together, it made a lot more sense to me. So I could figure out the square root of an isosceles triangle because I could at least see what we were working with. Things were a little bit easier. And it, to me, it was practical. Like, we need to know these measurements and these shapes because of how they work in the world. I, I see it when I go through the city and I see a building or I see a structure, I see a bridge. I can see geometry at work. I can see the shapes and how they form and what they build out. In order to draw these dimensions or build these 3D models, you needed to know what those dimensions were. And if you're wondering, well, what does dimension mean? It's a measurable extent of some kind. Dimensions is, is measurable things. That makes sense to me. I can measure things. So here's the thing. How does that work with what we're talking about today? 
A, rhomb, uh, a rhombus can be measured. A triangle can be measured. A parallelogram can be measured. But how do you measure love? Something that seems intangible, but I would argue is incredibly tangible. How do you measure love? And not just love in and of itself, but how do you measure the love of God? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is the dimensions of God's love. And to do that, we got to look at Ephesians chapter 3. In the book of Ephesians, the author Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, and, and he's going through a number of things, and then he kind of leans in on this great desire that he has for this church, this almost prayer that he's making for this church. And listen to what he says. He says in verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And here's his request. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. Let me pause right there. His prayer is that you would have the power, the ability to understand. And every believer needs to be able to have this ability. And what's that ability? To understand what? How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. I love that Paul gives us a way out. You are never going to fully grasp the love of God. It is too great. It is literally immeasurable, although we are going to attempt to measure it. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. A lot of us struggle with feeling like something's missing, like we're not complete. And what the author of Ephesians is saying is if you could begin to understand the dimensions of God's love, you will experience completeness. You will experience the fullness of life. The fullness of life doesn't come when you land your career job. The fullness of life doesn't come when you have children or when you get married or when you get, uh, you know, that goal of yours, whether it was a fantasy football league championship or making a certain amount of money. Like the, 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 the fullness of life can never come from the accomplishments of life. No, scripture is clear that to experience complete and fullness of life is to understand and comprehend the love of God. Love cannot be fully understood with an explanation or a teaching. The reality is, love must be experienced. I can tell you all about love. I, I, I can read you the greatest poems, the most wonderful soliloquies, uh, we can get the finest writers and the greatest shows and we can talk and teach all about love. But if you've never experienced it, it's going to be very hard to understand it. Some of us, we never got math and that's why we struggle with it. And I think some of us struggle with love because we never got love. We never, no one ever gave it to us. And so everything that was supposed to be love ended up not being. And so now we struggle with saying, well, I know you're saying God loves me, but everyone else who was supposed to love me, if that's what it is, then I don't want what God is offering. But you don't understand the measurement of God's love is so different than everybody else's. Right. So let me talk to you about some of those dimensions, beginning with the first one, the width of God's love. How wide is God's love? <laughs> well, when we first had our, our first kid, when Josie was born, I remember my wife and I having this conversation, and she said, I don't know how I would love another kid as much as her. And then Olivia came, and we had an answer. And then Luca came, 
and we had an answer. And you know what we discovered? We have more than enough love for all of our creations. How wide is God's love? God has enough love for everyone. For everyone. God doesn't love just some and then not others. God's love covers everyone. Every individual that's ever lived, ever will live, that is currently living. God loves everyone. How do I know? Listen, John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. For God so loved the world. He didn't say, for God so loved America, for God so loved Chicago, for God so loved Puerto Ricans, for God so loved Arabs. No, for God so loved the world, that means the world, right? Everyone that's on this planet, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. <laughs> Here's the reality. God loves the saint and the sinner. God loves members of the AG, the Assemblies of God, and God loves members of the LGBTQ+. God loves every person from every tribe and every culture. God loves the Democrat. God loves the Republican. God loved the Jews. God loved the Nazis. God loves you. God loves your enemy. Now listen, some of that is hard for us to comprehend and maybe even offensive to you. But here's the reality. God's love is not earned, and so how can God's love ever be lost? You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything that's going to lose it. The reality is God loves everyone. Here's the truth. Hell is going to be filled with people that God loves. They just chose not to love him back. And heaven will be filled with people that you might have thought God didn't love simply because you don't love them. <laughs> but the width of God's love, what does the scripture say? It covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't matter what a person's past is. It doesn't matter what they've gone through. It doesn't matter what they've done. You telling me serial killers, they have that. Yeah, God has enough love for them. Child molesters, yes, God has enough love for them. Rapists, whatever you want to call, whatever you want to name, God loves that person. Is he broken by their sin? Absolutely. So much so that he did something to rescue them from it. But don't get me wrong. That doesn't negate the love of God. That doesn't erase the love of God. And so that, here's why God tells us so often that we can't hate one another because that person that you hate is a person that God loves. That person that you discriminate against, that you have prejudice towards, that you dislike, that you're slightly annoyed by every time they breathe, God loves that individual. And so you got to think about that next time you go around. Next time you mean mug that coworker, next time you roll your eyes at that individual, remember, you are rolling your eyes and mean mugging somebody that Jesus died on the cross to save. God has enough bandwidth, enough width to carry the whole world. Not only that, but there's also the length of God's love. How long does God love us? Again, just because my wife is in front of me, it's easy to think about, but I remember when we were first dating, we were a couple of weeks in, right? And uh, she asked me as we were on a date, she goes, so how long have you liked me? And I was like, I don't know, well, we've been dating a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. <laughs> and she got really red, she got really embarrassed. I'm like, why, how long have you liked me? She's like, I've liked you for a year and a half. 
I was like, well, why didn't you say it? He said, well, you preached a sermon that the men are supposed to pursue the women, and so I needed you to pursue me. And I was like, good on you. All right. <laughs> now, listen, though. Here's, here's the reality. She was embarrassed because of the length of my love. Now, that's not my fault. The Lord covered my eyes. That's not on me. <laughs> right? That's not my fault. Thank you. I don't know if you guys are laughing at me or with me, but thank you. But here's the reality. Well, how long has God loved me? I can tell you it's more than two weeks. Listen, Psalm 103, verse 17 through 18. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. God's love is from this point to that point. Well, what are those points? Everlasting to everlasting. From eternity to eternity. God's love is so long that he loved you before time began and he'll love you after this world is gone. There, God's love has always been and always will be. Listen, God's love does not alter with our alterings or change with our changes. Does a mother's love fluctuate with the moods of her sick baby? Or another quote that I read from Meyer, there never was a time when he did not love you. Let that sink in. There was never a time where he did not love you. His mercy is from everlasting. Nor was there a time where he will love you less because it is too everlasting. God loved you before you were ever born and God will love you long after you die. This is a beautiful sentiment to understand that his length of his love outlasts the length of your life. He loves you from everlasting to everlasting. There is no beginning and there is no end. God loves you. The third thing, God doesn't just have the length of his love, but the height of his love. Well, how high does God love me? <clears throat> I was thinking about this. Have you ever stood under the Sears Tower and looked up? I had some visitors from out of town last week. They're like, oh, we visited the Willis Tower. I said, let me correct you there, sir. Sears Tower. Sears Tower. And so have you ever just stood like, you know, maybe you're on Jackson Avenue and you just look up at the Sears Tower and you almost feel like you're going to trip, you know? You start getting a little vertigo as you look up and you try to see the highest point. There's this weird feeling of just awe and wonder that comes over you. Or, or maybe you've stared up at the night sky and, and looked at the vastness of stars. And I know you didn't do that in Chicago, but maybe you are on vacation somewhere where you can actually see stars. And you look up at the sky and you're just marveling at the wonders of his creation. There is an awe that comes over us when we witness how high certain things are. Psalm 103, verse 11 through 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the heavens are from the earth, you measure that and God's love fills that void. Let's think about that on a practical scale. Globally, it's understood that space starts at about 62 miles above the earth. That's the beginning of space. So fill 62 miles worth of space, square, obviously, or circle, however you believe, it, flat earth or round. <laughs> there you go, Julian, I got you. Fill that whole space, God loves you more than that. Well, why more than that? Because that's the beginning of space. That's the beginning of the heavens. 
I think scripture here is going a little higher than that because we can't fathom how expansive the universe is. But if you take all that space, all that height, that's God's love for you. So when you're asking, Lord, how much do you love me? Can you look up to the heavens? From here to there. From the moon back. From the stars to the earth. I love you with an immeasurable height. And the fourth thing is this. What is the depth of God's love? So we understand the width. The width is how many of us God can love. We understand the length, how long God loves us. We understand the height, the vastness of God's love. But what is the depth? How deep is God's love? Well, let's think about the deepest part of the earth. The Mariana Trench in the ocean is the deepest part of the earth. It is 36,201 feet down. Or in other words, seven miles deep. Think about that. Seven miles deep. I feel like, I think accurately, we've explored more space than we've explored the ocean because there's just depths we can't get to. We can't get to the deepest part of the ocean. We all saw in that tragic incident a few months ago where a vehicle tried to go down to a certain depth and literally it imploded upon itself. The depths of the ocean is mind-boggling and to me, incredibly freaky. Like, I ain't done a cruise yet, and maybe one day I will, but there is something about open water that is unsettling, right? And I'm just, I freak out in a 10-foot pool. You put me in a 36,000-foot pool, like, that is just unfathomable. Like, we can't think how deep that is. Consider it this way, that the ocean is deeper than Mount Everest is high. That's how deep the ocean is, that it is deeper than Mount Everest is high. And yet, there is no depth where God's love cannot reach you. There is no depth, no deepness where God can't find you. Listen, Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. <clears throat> it says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. What does that mean for you and I? There is no depth of sin where God's love cannot redeem you. Yeah. Here's the problem we often have when it comes to love. And part of it is because we assume God loves the way we love. Yeah. And so how do we love? We love you as long as you love me. But the moment you stop loving me, the moment you hurt me, the moment you reject me, then every intention for me is to no longer want to love you. And so we take that understanding and we bring it into our relationship with God and we assume, well, God will love me in as so much as I'm doing right. But the moment I mess up, the moment I sin, God's going to remove his love from me. That God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore. I've messed up. I've screwed up. Or, or maybe you've done it once or twice, but now you're on your fourth, fifth, hundredth time making the same mistake. And you think to yourself, I can barely put up with me. Surely the Lord has rejected me now. Surely God has turned his back on me and removed his love from me. But again, I got to reiterate, 
you did nothing to earn the love of God. So you can do nothing to lose the love of God. There is no depth of sin that you can find yourself in. There is no hole that you can crawl in to try to hide and remove yourself. Think about it. With Adam and Eve, when they first committed sin, Scripture tells us that they went and they hid. And and God called out, where are you? You think God didn't know where they were? I mean, it's not like they were great. They hid in a bush. (laughs) At least go in a cave or something. You think God didn't know? But why does he call out? Because he's telling them, come to me. Don't hide from me. Why'd they hide? Sin and shame. Sin has a way of making us want to hide in a hole. Make us want to turn away from the one that we've sinned against. And what does God say? Even in that hole, I know where you are. Even in that bush, I know where you are. And it doesn't stop me from pursuing you. It doesn't stop me from loving you. There is no sin. Listen to me. No sin. I don't care what you've done. I honestly, I need you to really grasp that. The worst thing you've ever did can't keep you from God's love. Will not stop God from loving you. God loves you with an everlasting love. It can outlast sin. It can outlast shame. It can outlast guilt. Your love was never earned, and so it can never be lost. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 8 says, Now most people would be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Listen to me. God didn't love you when you said yes to him and and got all cleaned up. That's not the moment God loved you. God loved you in the depth of your despair. God loved you at your lowest point in life where you felt the most unworthy, where you felt like you screwed up the most, where you felt like everyone else rejected you, even maybe churches rejected you, people rejected you, your own family rejected you. But God will never turn his heart from you, ever. God will never stop loving you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, it's an everlasting love that'll reach the depths. And here's the beauty of it. It's not a love that's passive, but it's a love that reaches down, that finds you in the midst of your despair, in the bottom of that hole, and pulls you out. Well, how do I know? Well, Romans just said that he didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. And he died while we were in our sin. He didn't wait for you to get cleaned up. You know, wait for you to better your life. That, that amazes me a lot of times too, especially in church. People will be like, well, I, you know, I'm not ready to give my life to the Lord because I'm still struggling with a lot of stuff. That's like saying I'm not ready to go to the gym because I'm still fat. <laughs> Trust me, I understand the sentiment. I get it. But you go to progress. Right, And so we don't come to God already fixed. We come to God so he can mend the brokenness of our life. And he does that through his love. It's through that balance and understanding that God will bring you to where you need to go. Or you hear people say, I'm so grateful we baptized so many people in the last few baptisms. There's still some of you in this room who have been believers for so long and you still haven't been water baptized. And scripture is very clear to the believer. That is not an option. That is a command. And you hear things like, I don't think I'm ready to get baptized. All due respect, if you're telling me you're not ready to get baptized, you're also telling me you're not saved. 
because scripture tells me that those who got saved then were baptized. They didn't go off and get a divinity degree. They didn't go off and become Christians for 15 years and then go find water. Almost every instance of baptism we see in the New Testament, somebody gets saved and then they got baptized. But the problem is we're like, well, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still struggling with that. Again, we're all going to struggle with something forever. I'm struggling with stuff. I told one too many stories about my wife on Wednesday. I struggled with that. She called me out on it. We, we're good now. If you want to know what those are, you should have come to the prayer meeting. That's where my mouth gets a little bit looser because the cameras aren't on, so I get a little, I get a little crazy. Okay? And so we, we have to understand that there is no depth where God can't reach you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that will ever tear that apart. Worship team, if you can help me out. Here's the truth. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinners. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. But here's the truth. With these dimensions, height, width, depth, length, What are we building? What's the visual of God's love, right? I told you earlier in geometry, it made sense to me because as you put these dimensions together, you formed a shape. Well, the dimensions of God's love, his height, width, depth, length, what is that shape? What does that put? I would argue it's the shape that's right behind me. That there's no greater example of the dimensions of God's love than the cross of Calvary. See, because it was on the cross, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners born into sin. We have all offended God, and the Bible is clear that sin is what separates us from God. I don't care who you are, I don't care how good of a person you are, all of us have sinned against God. And that sin separates us. But the moment sin began and separated us, God enacted a plan to reunite us to bring his children back unto him because he loves us. And that plan was for Christ to fulfill the price that was necessary for your sin. See, God is a just God. And so if if he says something, it has to be accomplished. Same thing as a parent. If I tell my kid, hey, listen, you need to go to bed or you're not going to be able to watch that show later. And then I put that show on. She doesn't respect me anymore because she knows he's not a man of his word. Well, God is not a man that he would lie. And so if he said, hey, listen, if you commit sin, you will spiritually die, then death comes with sin. So he has to fulfill his obligation in order to be a righteous and just God. So what does he do? Since sin entered the world through one man in Adam, he sent one perfect man in Jesus to fulfill the penalty of that sin. Jesus paid the ultimate price by allowing his life to be sacrificed with a brutal death on the cross. That cross is the public demonstration of his love. We saw the length of his love on the cross. As Jesus walked this long length of road towards his crucifixion, beaten, back bruised and split open, bearing his own cross. We saw the height of his love as Jesus hung on the cross that stood on top of a hill, standing nearly 12 feet in the air so that everyone can see the public shame of his crucifixion. We saw the width of his love as Jesus 
wide stretched arms pierced with nails was like a father telling his child, I love you this much. We saw the depth of his love as he hears his executioners and the very people he's given his life for mock him and spit on him and he cries out to the father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, God didn't just say, I love you. He proved his love on the cross. A love we don't deserve and a love we can never lose. But it is a love that we have to accept. That's the difference. God loves you. The question this morning is do you love him? And not just a love of emotion, but a love of commitment. A love that says, listen, you gave your life for me. And so now I choose to live my life for you. A love that wants a relationship with Jesus. I was talking to Pastor Carlos earlier about this, and this is so true. The agony of hell is not fire and brimstone and gnashing of teeth, although I'm sure all of that is there. The agony of hell is the realization and the understanding that God loves me. And now I'll forever and eternity be separated from his love. I had a chance and I rejected it. And so here's what I'd like to do right now. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, church, all across this room. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a moment. Just close your eyes just so that you're not distracted. I need you to just hear my voice. Sir, ma'am, if you're in this place, I need you to hear me. If you're here and you never accepted the love of God, meaning you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, repented of your sin, and turned to God. Or maybe you did that a while back, but the truth is you have now rejected God's love and it's been a long time since you've lived for God. But this morning, as we sang earlier, the Father is calling you home. And he's saying, listen, all is forgiven. I'm not holding any of it against you. I just want you home. So whether you're here and it's the first time you've ever made this decision, or you're here and you want to make sure that this is the last time you'll ever have to make this decision again. If you don't have a relationship with the God who loves you more than anything else, and you want to respond to that love, right where you're at, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is in between anyone else, you and God, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to accept the love of God. Right where you're at, that's you. Thank you. I see you in the back over there. Anyone else says, that's me, Pastor. I don't want to walk out of here missing my chance. There's no guarantee that anyone's going to offer you this tomorrow. This is your opportunity today. Amen. One more thing and then we're going to pray. I want to talk to those of you in this room who have struggled with feeling like God doesn't love you anymore. You have struggled with feeling like you've lost the love of God. And you get that you haven't, but you struggle with feeling like you have. It's been a battle for you. And you just struggle with feeling like you're not good enough for God's love anymore. If you're here, I want to pray for you as well. I just need you to signal me by lifting up your hand if that's you, Pastor. Friend, thank you. 
Thank you. Anyone else says that's me? Thank you. Thank you in the back. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. And I'm going to pray for that person in the back who wants to give their life to the Lord. I'm going to ask one of my sisters if she could go back there. Church, let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room. And God, I just pray, first and foremost, for that individual who has given their life unto you, God. God, I thank you for the commitment, Lord. I thank you for the understanding, Lord. As Paul was praying and hoping that they would understand your love, I thank you that her eyes have been opened, God. But Lord, I just pray that as she receives your love and she accepts you as Lord and Savior, that you would guide her and protect her every step of the way. And Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room, God, who have battled with feeling unloved, who have struggled with feeling like we've done too much, God, and now you've rejected us and you've turned from us. Lord, I pray against the lies and the schemes of the enemy. That is not your word. That is not your truth. Because your word is clear as we've talked about all this morning that you love us from everlasting to everlasting. That your love is the height that fills the heavens. That your love is a depth that will reach us wherever we are. That your love is wide enough to cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> so Father, I pray for all of us in this room. As Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, help us to understand the height, width, depth, love, and length of your love, God. Because you didn't just say it, you demonstrated it with everything you did and everything you are. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.